0: It's the end
1: of the world as we know it, and I feel fine It's the end of the world as we
0: know it It's the end of the world as we know it This is the hour of doom And bloom That's right friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Podcast A station of sentience in a stentorian world I'm Joe Alton, MD, that old Dr. Bones, old Dr. Bones, co-founder of the survival medicine website, doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over 1,200 articles, podcasts, and videos on medical preparedness.
1: And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife.
0: And designer of some of the highest quality medical kits on the planet, not to mention the goddess that's the hottest, the hostess that's the mostest. So wonderful, she's like a kiss wrapped in a birthday cake, wrapped in a rainbow. (laughs) What do you think of that?
1: You're very funny.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I've got a lot to say. Some of it's funny, but a lot of it is truth. Some of it is conventional wisdom truth, and some of it's not so conventional wisdom truth. But we do have a lot to say. But before we start, we've got to tell you that, even though we go as far as we have to to make your family medically self-reliant in times of trouble... You better listen to this.
1: All information and opinions voiced on the Survival Medicine Podcast are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post apocalyptic settings. We strongly urge our audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available, please.
0: That's right. But what about natural disasters, pandemics? Look at what we're going through right now. All the slings and arrows. That life may throw at you, all that misfortune. There may come a time when you're the highest medical resource left to your family, and our job is to make you effective in that role. We want you to succeed, even if everything else fails. Now, the number of new daily coronavirus infections in the U.S. continued to rise this past week, driven by upward trends in nearly about half the states that have pushed the total cases in the country past about, well, 7.5 million and deaths beyond 210,000. Now the President of the United States has come down with it and may have more than a mild case. It's hard to say we're getting conflicting reports out of the White House. Uh, Currently, he's at Walter Reed Hospital recovering, and certainly his re-election campaign is on hold. A lot of repercussions for getting this disease. That's certainly for sure. Mm -hmm. You know that daily cases were on a downward trend through August and early September, from highs in July Now they're sort of going up again According to Johns Hopkins University Who keeps track of this uh, stuff The U.S. reported more than 55,000 new cases last Friday That begs the question to me Which is? The question to me is that Of all these people that have died From COVID-19 mm-hmm. Theoretically from COVID-19 mm-hmm. 210,000 people if That have COVID-19 their death certificate Did they die of just that? I mean, this average age of death from COVID-19 is about 75. Mm-hmm. So were all these people completely healthy beforehand? Gosh, if so, I wish I was that 75-year-old. I'm not there yet, and I'm nowhere near as healthy as those folks if COVID-19 was the only thing under death certificate. So the truth is, I doubt it. I think a lot of these people had illnesses. So maybe some of them were in nursing homes, things like that. Uh, certainly some people did have A particularly severe case And maybe that was all their problem Their entire problem But honestly 210,000 I think that the advanced age Of most of the people that did die Sort of tells us that probably not Of course politics keeps rearing its ugly head Many people blame the president for inaction Which is strange because they were complaining He was too hasty in establishing travel bans early on But you know what? guess it wasn't too early as they claimed, more like too late perhaps. But with a new virus, nobody knew about. No one knew anything about this virus. Remember, how could he or anybody even on his team or the people that are the, quote, medical experts have magically put together some kind of perfect plan of action that would have totally bypassed the United States as a issue or as a place where this kind of infection could happen? Well, I'll tell you what, I could not have figured out a plan of action that would have totally eliminated our being part of this pandemic. And I don't think anyone could, not, and, and certainly not without bankrupting the nation, which we've done pretty much already. It looks like that's what's going to happen no matter what. I mean, whether we keep the nation completely closed or not, I think that we are already in, in, in line for a years-long recovery. The president, well, he's between a rock and a hard place. It's probably going to cost him the presidency, I think. Amy keeps telling me that I'm a pessimist, but boy, I'll tell you, (laughs) we've gotten to the point where half the country hates the other half, apparently, and the percentages are beginning to get lopsided in some cases.
1: But, But we need to send our prayers for everyone who has been sick, including President Trump and First Lady Melania. So we send our prayers and our good wishes and a speedy recovery for not only them, but for anyone who has COVID, no matter what you believe.
0: And for their families. That's right. Well, you know, even as cases rise in much of the U.S., there is recent data published in the medical journal The Lancet very famous medical journal, that suggests that the vast majority of the USA population hasn't yet been exposed to the coronavirus. Researchers tested blood samples gathered from tens of thousands of patients for antibodies to the SARS-CoV-2 virus, the virus that causes COVID-19. And according to their results, just about 9% of Americans may have been exposed to the coronavirus. Now, I disagree with this figure. I think with a virus this contagious, the numbers, well, the numbers, if, there, if it was 9%, That would be about 30 million given the population of this country. But I believe it's more like 90 to 100 million if you take the asymptomatic cases and the very mild cases into account. But experts say that even that rate, if I'm right, is far too long to achieve what they call, far too low rather, to achieve what they call herd immunity. What is herd immunity? Well, when a large group, let's call them a herd, possesses immunity to a disease Non-immune individuals that happen to be in it Enjoy a certain amount of protection Because they're exposed to the infection much less often And that infection might otherwise be fatal to them Less exposure means better chance to survive Herd immunity So the most common example today relates to I guess vaccinated populations If an unvaccinated person moves into an area Where everybody is vaccinated And are immune to a certain disease The likelihood of exposure to say, I don't know, measles drops significantly. This confers a certain level of protection. The person isn't immune to measles, but there's so little exposure to it because everybody else is vaccinated that they don't get it. If many unvaccinated people, however, move into that same area, the overall herd immunity may be lost. Now, if we don't have enough people infected to achieve herd immunity, the only way to achieve immunity from COVID-19 is through a vaccine that's given to everybody. If that's the case if we were trying to achieve herd immunity without vaccines, all our efforts to avoid exposing people, all the mass, all the social distancing, as were counter to our getting past this pandemic. That's crazy. These scientists imply that herd immunity would have been a good thing, and if everybody had gotten infected, we might be over this by now. Have we just been keeping it going with all these drastic measures? Well, honestly, with the flu pandemic, that occurred 100 years ago, the Spanish flu, we weren't anywhere near as strict with regards to masks and social distancing. We didn't know. Sure, non-family knew to stay away from homes that were had sick people in it, but don't think that stores closed if the owners were healthy. The end result with that flu virus, though, was a 2% death rate and at least 2 million dead. That's horrific. SARS-CoV-2 doesn't have anywhere near that high a death rate. Apparently, according to WebMD, the current strain is perhaps at a 0.6 death rate. That's six times still the death rate of the flu. If you take mild or asymptomatic cases into account, like I think are out there, it's probably well less than that. Despite that, the numbers still add up. With today's U.S. population, 300,000 deaths or more wouldn't surprise me, and most of those are going to be in my own age group. Remember, the average age of death for COVID-19 still around 75. So did we do the right thing with the lockdowns and all the rest? Should we have left let the virus rampage through and get it over with? Remember when people used to send their kids to play with the kid that had chicken pox?
1: Yes, but that was wrong. They shouldn't have done that.
0: There you go, but no kid
1: deserved to suffer through chicken pox.
0: (laughs) That's for sure. And
1: now we have a vaccine for it. (laughs) That's
0: right, that's right. But I didn't wind up getting sent to play with kids that had chicken pox. I wound up getting the vaccine, the chicken pox, when I was 16, and I was sick as a dog. I was actually much sicker, close to being hospitalized. When I got it you poor so, thing.
1: That's a terrible, so terrible thing Maybe it
0: is better to get it over It's hard to say Who has the crystal ball to say What makes the most sense Or what would have worked best So all I got to say is that Some people are using this for political purposes I remember the governor of Pennsylvania Was caught on an open mic mishap Saying masks and all that are just political theater I'll let you decide that one But should you take off your mask and get up close and personal with strangers? Well, I don't know. There are still folks that are going to become casualties of this virus. Most will be my age, but there are younger folks than than me that die, and it's hard to predict who those are going to be. 0.6% may be a small number, but it's not to a family that loses a loved one. Okay, that's enough ranting, at least on that subject. I've got much more to rant about. Which is pretty much all I do is rant all day about You're one not thing ranting. or another. I'm ranting.
1: <laughs>
0: there is more happening on the infectious disease front. I want to talk a little bit about an infection that we're getting in a lot of imported food, and that is especially green vegetables, and that is cyclospora. I recently talked about it on Jack Spirico's Expert Council mm-hmm. broadcast, and I want to talk about it here. Here we go. We take for granted the ability for people in Montana to buy bananas at the supermarket in February. But it's pretty obvious they're not grown locally. When I challenged people a decade ago to grow their own food and eat what is produced locally, well, it was like I handed them a box of toads. Yes, we do have the ability to get all sorts of exotic foods imported to us. In the supermarkets down here in... Subtropical South Florida have several varieties of apples and blueberries pretty much all year round, but food that's imported here isn't always 100% free of contamination. Food contamination is a constant concern in the United States, especially from imported produce. As long as we import food, we must be especially careful to eliminate disease-causing organisms, also known as pathogens, from our food. A number of different disease-causing organisms especially put humans at risk. One of these is Cyclospora cayetanensis. From May to late August 2020, more than 1,100 laboratory-confirmed cases of food contamination due to Cyclospora, also known as Cyclosporiasis, were reported in 34 states. That's 34. In most cases, fresh imported produce, especially greens and vegetables, were identified as the likely origins. Cyclospora is a one-celled parasite that's a natural inhabitant of the tropics and subtropics where it seems to cause outbreaks that are seasonal in nature. The U.S. cases, however, occurred in temperate climates and in people who had not visited the tropics before symptoms began. In other words, it came about here. Cyclospora is spread by people ingesting food or water contaminated with feces containing the oocysts. An oocyst is essentially a thick-walled fertilized egg. Unlike some similar parasites, however, the oocyst needs time, usually about one or two weeks, in the outside environment after being passed in a bowel movement to become infectious. That process is called sporulation. Once that occurs, human ingestion of the now-primed oocyst allows it to hatch. But they don't even call it that. They call it existation. Not like the word exist, but exist, E-X-C-Y-S-T. It then spends time in the intestine, where it reproduces sexually or asexually. The whole thing makes your skin crawl. It's so complex that it's unlikely, though, that cyclospora can be passed directly from one person to another. More likely, the oocysts contaminate crops or water sources. Exactly how food or water becomes contaminated with cyclospora isn't Fully understood But once the oocysts hatch in the human body Symptoms begin to manifest They start an average of about 7 days After ingestion of the infected version Of the oocyst And they include Watery diarrhea, the most common symptom Loss of appetite, low grade fever Weight loss, cramping, bloating Gas, nausea and vomiting And fatigue Wow, you must be pretty miserable If you have a cyclospora infection Interestingly, Some people infected with cyclospora have no symptoms at all. Others have explosive bowel movements. Cyclospora infection often goes away by itself, and mild or asymptomatic cases require no treatment. If untreated, the illness endures for a few days, but some cases last a month. Some victims experience improvement and then relapse several times during the progress of the disease. Although not life-threatening, long-term fatigue and other problems are indeed a possibility. Once the organism is identified in a stool sample, cyclosporiasis can be effectively treated with the combination sulfa drug trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole. You may know it as Bactrim or Septra-DS. It's commonly used for bladder infections. The usual regimen for adults is trimethoprim 160 mg plus sulfamethoxazole 800 mg. That's one double-strength tablet twice daily for 7-10 to days. The veterinary equivalent is fish sulfa-forte. No effective alternatives have yet been identified if you happen to be allergic to sulfur drugs. In this case, well, at least most immune-competent people will recover without treatment and with good hydration. Immunity, well, it's not long-term. Recurrence of infection is not uncommon if you're re-exposed. So, how to prevent it? Avoiding any food or water that might be contaminated with feces is the best way to prevent infection. Routine chemical disinfection, is surprisingly less effective for cyclospora than for most other bacteria or parasites. Fruit and vegetable handling basics include washing your hands with soap and water after touching fruit and vegetables, maybe before also. Also, be sure to clean cutting boards, dishes, utensils, and countertops between the preparation of meat, poultry, and seafood, and fruits and vegetables. Wash all fruits and vegetables thoroughly under running water before eating, cutting, or cooking. Remove any damaged or bruised areas on fruits and vegetables. Firm items like cucumbers or melons, they actually should be scrubbed with a clean brush dedicated to the purpose. Storing properly by refrigerating, cut, peeled, or cooked fruits and vegetables within two hours, preferably sooner, is also important. Separate the storage of fruits and vegetables and raw meat, poultry, and seafood. They should not be stored in the same cabinet. It should be noted that no vaccine for cyclosporiasis is available at present. This is Joe Halden, MD, that old Dr. Bones, wishing you the best of health and good times or bad. Thanks for listening. Hey, support our mission to put a medically prepared person in every family and get yourself medically prepared for what is certain to be Uncertain, that is our future. You can do that by getting some of the quality medical kits, individual supplies, and personal protection gear available at store.doomandbloom.net. That's store.doomandbloom.net. Thanks again. So why do I get all worked up about food contamination? Food contamination is not a sexy topic for survival or even survival medicine itself. You know, a gunshot to the leg or something like that. That is really... More much more fun to talk about, but you're going to lose a lot more people from food contamination and water contamination than you are going to be, lose people from gunshots. Uh, gosh, I hope in times of trouble. now, the person that's responsible for the health of their family isn't just there to stop that bleeding wound set of broken leg. If you got this poorly cooked or contaminated food, you really are going to have infections infectious disease run rampant if you're not vigilant about food safety. The U.S. Uh, Department of Agriculture says that one in six Americans are going to get sick from food poisoning this year alone, and over 100,000 of them are going to get hospitalized. The government has a program called Food Safe Families. That's a campaign which advises you how to properly deal with issues that lead to contamination and sickness from food. And they're simple steps. There's a group of simple steps that they have that work both on and off the grid, so in a survival scenario or in normal times, and they consist of four simple steps, clean, separate, cook, and chill. Now, clean, well, it's important to wash hands, wash food, food preparation surfaces. You may be surprised how persistent some of these microbes can be on things like cutting boards if they're not cleaned frequently. It's hard to stay clean if you don't wash your hands correctly. I guess that's a good start. Make a good lather by rubbing your hands together With some soap Make sure you scrub the back of your hands Between your fingers Don't forget your nails For the best effect You wash for a good 20 seconds That's the time it takes to sing Happy Birthday uh, twice that, uh, The Happy Birthday song And then you rinse with running water And the running water is what Sort of washes the germs off When should hands be washed? Well, a lot more often than you probably do now. It's important to wash before, during, and after preparing food, especially after handling raw meat, poultry, and seafood, before and after eating, before and after treating a wound or a cut, before and after caring for somebody who's sick, after using your hands to block a cough or a sneeze, after contact with animals or their waste, and after using the toilet. wow. That's a lot of times that you should be washing your hands, and indeed, it may sound like overkill to you, but truthfully, it's the best way to avoid getting sick. Now, in cooking areas, bacteria can spread onto cutting boards, utensils, countertops, things like that. All of these have to be washed after each use. You want to use paper towels if you happen to have them, clean cloths if, if not, and anything that's not disposable always has to be washed in hot water. You may not know that it's important to wash your cutting boards and your utensils and your countertops with hot soapy water after preparing each food item, not just after each meal, and certainly before you go on to the next item. Uh, A bleach solution may also suffice. Some people use a tablespoon of about, well, a tablespoon of plain household bleach per gallon of water probably would do uh, to help disinfect those. Uh, as for food items, well, you want to make sure you wash fruits and vegetables. Uh, but interestingly enough, you're not poultry, meat, or eggs. You want to wash p- produce, but you also want to cut away damaged and bruised areas and then rinse under plain running water, water. No soap in this case, obviously. Items with peels or rinds are not exempt. i got to tell you that much that bacteria spreads from the outside to the inside. As you handle them during peeling, you're handling a bacteria on a rind or a peel. Well, Once you've peeled it, then you're holding a peeled piece of fruit, let's say, that has bacteria on it that you got from your hands. So afterwards, you always want to dry that fruit with a clean cloth or paper towels. Now, did you hear me say not to wash meat, poultry, and eggs? I bet you thought that was a little weird, but it's true. Washing raw meat and poultry can actually help bacteria spread. Their juices contaminate your sink and countertops. And by the way, all commercial farm eggs are washed before they're sold. Now separate there's you want you want to clean you want to separate so let's talk about that. You should separate different food items during preparation and you've cleaned your hands and your cooking area. Things like raw meat and poultry can spread disease-causing organisms to ready-to-eat foods if they're kept together. So using the same cutting board, let's say, that would be asking for trouble. You instead you should use a designated cutting board for fresh produce and another one for meat, poultry, or seafood. You want to use separate plates and utensils for preparing cooked and raw foods. You want to thoroughly wash the plates, utensils, and cutting boards that held raw meat, poultry, seafood, or even eggs before using them again. And you want to toss old cutting boards because there are all sorts of microbes that can make their own ecosystem in the grooves. So this advice also goes, by the way, for food in your shopping cart. You should always keep meat, poultry, seafood, and eggs separate from all other foods, even at the grocery store. And you'll see that the baggers at grocery stores are now taught to separate these things out. And so you will have your meat put in a separate plastic bag than, let's say, your fruit. Better yet, use the plastic bags that are in the grocery store, in the produce section, in the meat section, and put each item that you buy in its own separate bag. I think that is going to be very important. And, of course, eggs, of course, you keep in their original carton. Store them in the main compartment of the refrigerator once you get home where it's colder. Don't put them in the door. That is always a warmer area in a refrigerator than anywhere else. Cook is the next thing. We've talked about cleaning, separating. Now we want to talk about cook. Uh, Raw meats, other items, they have to be cooked to an appropriate temperature, right? Many bacteria that cause food poisoning multiply rapidly because... The meat was just not cooked high enough. There's all sorts of bugs that can colonize food. Salmonella is just one of them. Many people believe they know when food is done simply by looking at the color and texture. Well, in truth, there's no real way to be sure it's safe unless you have a food thermometer. When food appears to be done, place the thermometer in the thickest part of the food. Make certain not to touch bone or fat. That can give you inaccurate readings. Wait the amount of time recommended for your type of thermometer. Some foods are safest when giving... Given a rest time of about three minutes After removal from the heat Because during its rest The temperature remains still hot Might even rise a bit, believe it or not And does a better job of killing pathogens So here are some recommendations In terms of temperatures That your meat should be cooked at From the U.S. Department of Agriculture Ground beef or pork should be at 160 degrees Fahrenheit Ground turkey or chicken, 165 Sausage, 165 uh, Fresh pork Or beef Or beef like steaks, roasts, or chops Before I, When I mentioned beef or pork before It was ground beef or pork Fresh beef or pork in Steaks, roasts, or chops 145 degrees And rest for 3 minutes afterwards A whole chicken or a whole turkey 165 degrees Chicken or turkey breasts or roast Same thing, 165 degrees uh, Egg Well, if you're cooking an egg You want to cook until both the yolk and the egg White are firm Of course, some people like soft-boiled eggs So... It's hard to say what to do in that circumstance. And any leftovers that you have should always be cooked to 165 degrees. Don't forget to clean your food thermometer with hot soapy water after each use. Now, in normal times, microwaves take the place of ovens in a lot of households, so it's important to make sure you microwave your food thoroughly so that it gets to a high enough temperature. When you microwave food, you should stir your food somewhere in the middle of the heating process, you want to let your microwave food sit for a few minutes. It helps cook your food more completely. And allow colder areas a little extra time to absorb heat from the hotter areas of food after you remove it from the microwave. That could mean the difference between a, a healthy meal and food poisoning. The last thing I want to talk about is chill. We've talked about cleaning, we talked about separating, talked about cooking. Now we want to talk about chilling. Now you may not have a limited ability to chill food in off the grid, certainly, but If you can refrigerate food, perishable foods should be refrigerated as soon as you possibly can. Because disease-causing organisms can colonize food items within two hours unless they're put in cold temperatures. At summer temperatures of 90 degrees Fahrenheit, that time is reduced to just one hour. So here, follow some of these food safety tips. Refrigerate perishable foods within one or two hours. Make that trip to the grocery store your last errand, not your first. Once you're home... How you refrigerate your purchases does make a difference. Pack your refrigerator properly by allowing cold air to circulate inside. Don't overpack. Keep uh, refrigerator temperatures between about 32 and 40 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, Leftovers should not be allowed to sit out for longer than two hours. They're best refrigerated immediately. Don't be lazy about that. Now what food should be frozen instead of refrigerated? Freezer temperatures of zero degrees Fahrenheit are safest. It should be noted that freezing doesn't kill most harmful bacteria if they've already colonized the food items. You definitely want to freeze meat, poultry, seafood, things like that. So once frozen, what's the safest way to thaw it? Many people thaw or marinate food on the kitchen counter. Definitely not safe. Bacteria multiplies rapidly at room temperatures. There are better ways. You want to thaw in the refrigerator. That's the safest way to thaw meat, poultry, and seafood. You want to remove remove the food from the freezer, put it on a plate to catch juices that may leak, and place it right in the refrigerator. It should be ready to use the next day. Instead, if you don't want to do that, put the frozen package in a watertight plastic bag, submerge it in cold water. If you use this method, be sure to cook the food immediately. It's wise to change that cold water, by the way, every 30 minutes or so. And of course, there is always the microwave. Usually, there'll be instructions on the package uh, or just look at your owner's manual and cook immediately once you have thawed it. Or your option could be to not thaw it at all. Honestly, it's safe to cook foods from a frozen state as long as you realize that your cooking time will be about 50% longer. Be certain that the food item is cooked thoroughly. Remember that food thermometer. Lastly, it's important to know when to discard old food. This isn't something you can tell just by looking or smelling. Uh, that said, it might obviously be bad, so it may be obvious that it's bad. So how long before that item should be tossed? Here are a few examples for when keeping that food is not safe. Here are some signs of spoilage. In this situation, don't taste the food, just discard it. If the lid is bulging, the lid should be definitely concave. The seal should not be liftable but with your fingers. If there's a milky appearance to the liquid, if you see it, you have a clear can but Or clear jar But there's a milky appearance to the liquid For the most part as food ages The liquid becomes more cloudy And a residue begins to form at the bottom of the jar This is the food sloughing off The appearance should not be milky Uh, If there's any mold growth That's a bad sign Get rid of that stuff Slimy appearance or a texture If any rancid odor Of course I don't have to tell you that You want to get rid of that If there's any corrosion on the inside of the can Especially along the seam That is a Particular problem if you have canned foods That are older than 10 years or so And of course rust, especially on the seam Or the seal of the can That's a big problem Uh, You want to discard that Frozen can or a frozen bottle Freezing produces hairline fractures in the seal And allows spoilage to begin Any food that has been stored In a non-food grade container For example, a container just wasn't meant for food Or once contained a non-food product Garbage bags, garbage cans Uh, cleaning bottles, buckets, uh, kitty litter containers, things like that, you want to discard that food. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Survival Medicine Hour and hope you'll listen in every week. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us. Send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.
1: Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did.